I came all this way to see you. Which wasn't easy, since you were pretty far away. How is that even... Because back then... Well, I drank some of your kuchikamizake. You... You drank that? Uh-huh. Stupid pervert! Wh what? Yeah, that's right! You were touching my boobies, weren't you? What? Well, how do you even... Cause Yotaha saw you! I just... I couldn't help myself. But it was just the one time. Just the one time? How many times is it the issue? Sorry. Wait, is that...? Oh, yeah, it's yours. But you visited before I knew you. So I didn't know who you were. Welcome to part two of our Your Name period episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed, and we let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So February, new month, as usual, there's the stuff that everybody gets, whatever tier you are as a patron, starting from the ground floor, the dollar tier, the Travoltis, you get access to the cutting room floor stuff. And we mentioned the Neon Demon episode, seeing as how I just uh, finished putting it together, I can tell you that, as predicted, there was a lot of stuff that didn't make it into the Neon Demon episode. <laughs> and that's on our cutting room floor segments. You also get access to our bonus episode. We try to do uh, at least one every month. And this month, courtesy of patron Jordan Mans, uh, he's thrown another pick from his top 100 movies of all time. Oh, he didn't throw the pick. He threw the whole list at us and said, have at it. You guys pick. We're doing the, the grunt work for this now. Yeah. I Actually, mean, he did the grunt work compiling. His, he has his whole list on his letterbox page of his 100 movies. So good on him. That's I don't have the time, patience, or resources for such an undertaking. So the fortitude. Uh, I'm fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the internal fortitude. So I'm more than okay. Then when his turn comes up, you and I just consult the list. and Because you know, he gets what he wants, and we get to pick something off the, the Jordan Mance list. Uh, yeah, last time, uh, which was a couple months ago, we did Nosferatu from that list. And I guess mm -hmm. we're just keeping with the trend of, of going classic and going black and white. Uh, not silent, right? This movie's not silent. Not silent. Ten years later, but a massive uh, step forward in filmmaking. I think it's kind of interesting that we're going just a decade forward from Nosferatu, but movies that kind of symbolize different periods and different eras, so to speak. Yes, the, here's a movie that, that walked so eventually Peter Jackson could run. Uh, we're going to talk about the 1933 King Kong. Is this the OG King Kong, Alex, or is, is there even an older King Kong? Uh, no, this is the, I'm sorry, you, you threw me off guard with that, like like there was lore or some shit. No, this is the, <laughs> the original King Kong, uh, 1933 American pre-code adventure horror monster film. Uh, this was uh, written by James Krellman and Ruth Rose. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I know King Kong. I've seen several iterations of the of the story, uh, including the aforementioned Peter Jackson's take on it, and uh, more recently, the one where he punched Godzilla in the face from a couple of years ago. Uh, never seen the original, so looking forward to that. I'm sure we'll do a um, a recap of his appearances and the King Kong filmography. But yes, this was his first appearance, released on March 2nd of 1933. So that's it's got to be the bonus episode for the month of February. A big ape 
And uh, it will not be the only ape in February. I'll tease you about that. Uh, now, if you want more content, well, then that's what the other tiers are for. You go to $3 tier, the Widonis. You have access to our pre-recording notes. You have access to our quick video reviews. Alex, it's Brandon Curtis month when it comes to quick video reviews. So you're getting the movie Triple Threat, and I'm getting the movie Lost Bullet. And I'm not going to lie to you, I don't know that they're Indian. If I'm looking at the right film here, uh, from 2019, action thriller directed by Jesse V. Johnson. It has um, Michael J. White in it. Michael Bisbing, the former UFC middleweight champion. I hope I'm looking at the right movie now. Okay, that, that sounds like why he gave it to you, maybe. And it's uh, amongst its production companies is WB Studios. Okay, that has to be the right movie then. <laughs> uh, mine... Again, assuming that it's this correct one, a Lost Bullet, 2020, uh, movie directed by Guillaume Perret. So I, I guess it's French. I don't know anybody here. They could be all wrestlers too, and I just wouldn't know. <laughs> but hey, an hour and 32 minutes. So yeah, definitely not an Indian movie. Brandon, just mixing it up. We broke him with Vikram. <laughs> it's... We uh, he blinked. We were we've been doing a staring contest for like two years, and he finally blinked. Um, so yes, quick video reviews separate this month from Alex and I, courtesy of Brandon Curtis, and then you also get Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're playing, that we're listening to. Alex, we just decided. We're doing another joint after hours experience uh, for this one, right? Indeed, we are. After the Neon Demon episode we did with our friends from Spit and Polish, I revisited uh, Only God Forgives. We've decided that the mood is right to go ahead, and uh, neither of us has seen Bronson before. So we're each going to give that a viewing and bring our thoughts to the table. And then I think we can be done with Nicholas Windegrafen. Well, you know that after that's going to be like, oh, well, you need to watch Valhalla Rising. Yeah, well, okay, we'll be done with it for now. <laughs> yes. Like, when you when you texted me about this, I I was being serious when I said, let's do it now before we we just lose the drive. No pun intended. Pun, uh, yeah, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> I, this is the, the perfect time for everybody to just hand me all the Nicholas Winden Refn movies available because I, I really enjoyed our conversation with Ryan and Bartek and I feel like it, Put me in a mood to be very welcoming to Nicholas Winding Refn's eccentricities. So the time is now. <laughs> and and they're, you know, Bronson's on Tubi. And so, I'm in a better mood after Only God Forgives. After Neon Demon, I forced myself to watch Only God Forgives. With Neon Demon, I was just like, dude, fuck this. Like, I'm done with this guy. <laughs> I looked at my f- three copies of Drive and I was like, you know, staring at the fire. Like, is it time? <laughs> is this my destiny? <laughs> all right so that's gonna be your after hours and then if you want to be part of those patrons that the elite group that tells us what to do here on the main feed and also on the patron feed well that's what the five dollar tier the embrys and the ten dollar tier the gads that's what they're for so go to patreon.com slash prime look at what we're offering and see how you would like to support the contrarian supplements 
Absolutely. $1, $3, $5, and $10, our respective tiers, as Julio's outlined. Go take a look. We have all the information on our page of what each tier will get you. And, you know, that takes us all the way back to our first ever patron episode, which was our discussion on Blue is the Warmest Color, our Rock Cena journey that is not yet over. Um, uh, We'll be having a check-in here before WrestleMania this year in Philadelphia. Uh, and uh, our Lindsay Lohan series and our perspective projects we have out there right now for when we cross 30, 40, and 50 uh, patron supporters. So as we like to say, if you're on the fence, I think you'll enjoy what's on the other side. Just You just got to hop over. That's all you got to do. And we have the community discussion group there. So if you want to jump in and shame us for not knowing who rad wimps are, then you know just <laughs> do so. You pay to be mean to us. That's what you get and deserve. So. Yeah. You can do what the aforementioned Ryan is doing right now on the chat, trying to make us watch even more Nichols Winning Reference stuff. He's saying that the Pusher films are good, too. It's like, okay. Dude, that's <laughs> like down. the Simpsons where Marge, the film festival, and you like my idea? Because I have some. Don't push your luck. Don't push your luck. <laughs> that's where we're at with him right now. So our current patrons, we love y'all's support. We always like to hear from y'all. And like I always say, our human resources slot is open. We take applications, we review them, and promptly accept them. All right, Julio. Anime, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship contrarians. What do you think? Oh, uh, well, it's not bad. Oh, you're Uh lying! Well, first of all, I'll start with myself, uh... To clarify my statement in the opening half, I have watched way more Japanese pro wrestling and mixed martial arts than your average uh, than your average wrestling fan, for Christ's sake, but definitely more than the average person. And because of that, because the presentation can vary so differently and because I get interested in you know cultural differences and things like that, that has always led to me learning more about the Japanese culture specifically. So I have a fair grasp on, you know, their culture specific to things like pop culture and whatnot and, uh, you know, a relative understanding of how the the country runs and, you know, what people are interested in there and understand that, you know, anime manga is, um, I, I don't really know what you can compare it to here. It's so big there that it's penetrated other countries and in America here, it's huge, um, while I do find things fascinating about Japanese culture, I, I do like Japanese film. Uh, obviously, like I, at night, if it's late, the most peaceful thing on earth to me is putting on like 70s or 80s Japanese wrestling with the Japanese commentary on. Like, uh, for one, the preservation of that footage is so much higher than, you know, all other wrestling from that time, mainly because the technology was so far advanced. They, you can find some shit from like the early eighties. That's like in high definition because the cameras they used at the time could be remastered. But, (laughs) but I've never been able to cross that line into manga or anime. And I've had friends that are very into it. I've dated some people in the past that were really into it. It's just not something that I've been able to really sink my teeth into or find interest. And like we mentioned when we were Uh, previewing this um, in our last episode that I've always had, you know, Grave of the Fireflies and The Wind Rises and there's a couple others, you know, that are very, you know, not hidden gems, but movies that are widely celebrated that I've always had on the back burner and never really pulled the trigger on. 
And um, I don't want to get into my thoughts on this yet because, you know, I want to throw it back over to you for your experience with Japanese pop culture and anime in general. But I'm glad that the situation arose where I kind of had to uh, because I feel it's important <laughs> to expand my horizons and kind of uh, uh, go, you know, literally out of my comfort zone. I can't tell you that there's things about anime that make me uncomfortable, but it's just one of those things of. <laughs> It's never called to me and gripped me the way it has other people. I get the sense that you're in a moderately similar situation. Uh, somewhat. I, I think I have more of a foothold on some of the Japanese animation that's popular here. Uh, like I said, because of my wife, in big part because of her, but also just because it, once you, you try a couple of them, you know, you it's on you to make the effort. And thankfully... They're there, you know, you can, especially now, I mean, it's a lot easier, but even before stream was all the rage, I think that, you know, every now and then there'll be, I mean, fuck, Cinemark has, or used to have a Miyazaki festival, I think every year. <laughs> and so after a while, you're like, all right, well, let's go see it. The, the Alamo Draft House plays like his big hits annually, at least. So, so they're there now, whether I choose to engage with them as often as, I could, or something that I should. I mean, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, like I mentioned, in the quarter, my wife is a big uh, Miyazaki fan, and so I think that we own most of the Studio Ghibli movies. And uh, when we went into lockdown, that was one of my unfinished projects. I was like, "All right, the time is now. This is the year of Miyazaki. I'm just gonna watch all of them because I own them." And uh, I think we made it like two or three. It's just, it was it, it was just hard because it was one of those things that I, we mistakenly put it as a couple activity. And so that is a lot harder to move forward with because mm -hmm. we both have to be in the mood for a movie. And But she is a big fan. And in fact, one of our first dates was her bringing Howl's Moving Castle to uh, to my apartment that we just watched it because it was her favorite movie at the time, and uh, it was great. I loved it. I, I'd seen uh, a couple of Miyazaki movies by then. Uh, I'd seen Spirit Away. I think I'd only seen Spirit Away, and then we watched Howl's Moving Castle, and then she let me borrow Princess Mononoke and maybe one more, and then uh, Spirited Away is another one of like the all timers, right? That sounds familiar. Yes, yeah, it's it's one of the most popular, and uh, I I think that's how. I watched it. I, I think that it was playing somewhere here in Austin at, at an Alamo before I even lived here in Austin, I think. And I just went and saw it. And it, the style is very distinctive. I mean, you can definitely, especially if you grew up like I did, like a lot of people have with uh, Disney animation, you know, because it's like, even as far as American animation, there's, there's different people doing stuff, but, the the standard and what just permeates the culture is like Disney and they're very successful. And then, you know, I guess the last couple of decades, maybe Pixar also, you know, yeah. but it's still Disney. And so there is a very uh, PG family friendly vibe to the stories they tell and the way that they tell them. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, assuming the spirit away was the first one I saw uh, as far as, Japanese animation movies, the it's different. You know, it's a little more dangerous. It's a lot less family friendly. It's very, it toys with very 
adult themes, even if it doesn't fully explore them sometimes. And uh, some of the imagery can be very disturbing. And uh, I think that one of the reasons why I haven't gone, well, there's two reasons why I haven't really watched more even though I've watched a fair amount, I think. One is that as I've gotten older, I found it just more difficult to sit down and watch an animated movie in general. Even like the the really, you know, Pixar is usually pretty successful with me. But I need to, it's now at this point where I, it's almost like sitting down to watch a classic where I have to be in the mindset to sit down and watch animation. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is that it's one thing to sit down to watch a Pixar movie or a Disney movie, or DreamWorks, or what have you, and uh, and then in order to sit down and watch something from Studio Ghibli, right? It's not specific to Ghibli, you, you know, European animation. Uh, it's like the two uh, two things I have to be in the mood for. I have to be in the mood for animation to begin with, and then I have to be in the mood to deal with animation that's a little more challenging because it's going to deal with uh, potentially more adult themes, and also it's not going to be as... Uh, lighthearted as the animation that I usually consume. So even though, you know, there's a lot of silliness and a lot of like fun stuff in, in many of the movies, but it still feels like I'm watching uh, a, a grown-up movie that that challenges me. And so I have to be in the mood. But, you know, most of what I've seen, I've enjoyed. But then there's uh, the TV, right? Uh, and not to you know, digress too much into this, but because it's part of the point, I think. Uh, Kelly enjoys watching Japanese animation like TV shows. She's tried to get me to watch some of them. And I I mean, I can watch them with her, but I, I have a hard time connecting to it. I think that that stuff works better in movies for me. And, and TV, here, I'll pass it to you. Because I one of the things that jolts me the most going from what let's say is traditional American animation <laughs> in in Japanese animation is just the the way that the characters emote, mm-hmm. and it's not as pronounced here in your name, but in other movies and definitely in a lot of the TV shows that that you know Kelly's trying to get me to watch, <laughs> the the characters they just when they have high emotions they just explode and they're very expressive and that takes me out of the story when that happens. Uh, that you know the performances so to speak can be very over the top and i think that miyazaki has a pretty sweet spot where it hardly ever bothers me mm-hmm. but a lot of the the stuff that i watch on tv it'll be like oh the concepts are pretty interesting they're pretty out there and but i have a hard time taking it seriously because you know every five minutes or so there'll be like this big explosion of emotion <laughs> that that just feels very over the top so I was afraid that your name was going to be like that, but it was actually a lot more toned down. And I, I, I actually should have known because even though I hadn't seen your name, I did watch the director's follow-up, which is called uh, Weathering With You. A special heavy rain advisory has just been issued in the Tokyo area. Would you like the rain to stop? What do you mean by... It's gonna clear up. It did have a full theatrical run here in Austin, at least not that I, I don't think it did, but uh, they did have some of those Fathom events screenings. And so I surprised Kelly whenever it came out. I think it was a couple of years ago. I think for her birthday or for something, I, I bought tickets and we went and saw it. And mainly on the strength of me knowing that that guy's previous movie had been a big deal. And uh, we enjoyed it. I mean, it was, 
it was a lot more contemporary, kind of like with your name, than what you see or what, what I'm used to from uh, Studio Ghibli. But we had a good time and it was a, a tone-wise, it felt a lot like what we watched tonight with, with your name. Now, you, Alex, you're watching this in whatever other Japanese animation you might have watched. Like, Do you also feel that over-the-top element to it sometimes? Does it distract you or does it just feel like, ah, well, that's just how they do it and it doesn't bother you? I don't know if it's that as much as you mentioned Disney and like and the animated movies uh, that we grew up on. And it could just be that, that my brain was programmed a certain way. But a big thing I remember that I came like uh, a roadblock, as it were, was all anime. And I have to be I know it's not don't take this literally, but all anime looked the same to me. Like there was no, like Disney movies have different animation. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like cartoons I watched Ed, Ed and Eddie Rocco's modern life, you know, Doug, these things had different styles of animation. Whereas all the anime I had really been exposed to all just looked like it existed in the same universe. And to me, I found that kind of monotonous. Obviously I wasn't, processing it like that when I was, you know, a teenager or 13 or 10 or whatever. But like then now I'm realizing that was kind of one of the things that I came came across that didn't really separate it well enough. And then also, like, I didn't know where the line was too. like you said, ain't too many American cartoons that go to the places that you'll find uh, some Japanese animated films will or series. Um. Cowboy Bebop. That was the other one. I was trying to think of like the mm-hmm. the day one anime movie, and that's Cowboy Bebop. But that's not to say like Wally. Goddamn, dude, that movie's like one of the heaviest movies I've ever seen. But there's not like the sexuality. You don't often find the mm-hmm. sexuality mm-hmm. and like the the violence that you'll find in some of these. You're not gonna see a girl squeezing her boobs yeah. in a Disney or Pixar movie. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I remember when I discovered too, that, and you know, if you're into that, that's your, your thing. But like when, um, I discovered as like a teenager that there's like pornography that's animated, I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? I was like, <laughs> it's like, I, I, there's just, it's a whole universe. Um, yeah. Now the contrarians don't kink shame. No, but, not at all. But we can definitely express the whole, like. Yeah, not into it. <laughs> not, not my thing, you know? And if you like, you know, someone spitting in a thimble and handing it to you, that's your thing, too. We didn't mean to king shame in the first half of this either. But uh, so it's not so much the spit, Alex. I think the rice is the part that grosses me out. You know, like you're adding the food component there and it's just ugh. it's pretty gnarly. But to your original question. Uh, yeah, sometimes the emoting can kind of take me out of it. And it's um, with anything, though, if the right story's there, uh, I can be sucked into it. And I think for some of the reasons I've outlined, anime is not always going to be my go to. But there's living examples of times I've sat down and watched it and today being one of them where I'm glad that I did. Um, so my sister watches it more than I do. She, I don't think she enjoys it to the level that, uh, Kelly does, but, uh, I, I have come home before and I think there's some series that will kind of, she'll get swept by and, and whatnot. And it's just not my go-to 
And uh, I, I'm, you know, even as much as I may or may have not liked this movie, I can't guarantee that, you know, it's going to become a regular part of my rotation. But doing things like this makes me realize that, yeah, you should get over some of your preconceived notions to at least see, you know, the, the wind rises and uh, Grave of the Fireflies. And what was the other one that you had mentioned that you saw in the theater? Spirited Away. Spirited Away. I ask because I'm literally going to write it down. <laughs> so I think we've kind of set the table here. Yeah, we, I think we've given a pretty good idea of where we are at the beginning of yes. this movie. <laughs> um, not a whole lot of rotten quotes, Alex. Yeah, you, you beat me to it. I was going to ask, what's the name of the people that didn't like this? There's literally only two rotten quotes. So I pulled those two and then I pulled uh, Stu's two reviews on Letterboxd. That should be a nice little journey here. Uh, let's start with Tom Kill from Seattle Times, who says, As pleasing as some aspects of your name can be, there's no question Shinkai's overstuffed movie often trips over itself. Shinkai would be the director, right? Uh, Makoto Shinkai, yes. All right. Uh, overstuffed. I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, I I wouldn't call it overstuffed. I think it Correct. walks up to the edge <laughs> and then pulls back. I think because, as we pointed out in Contrarian's Corner, there's not a whole lot of explanations. And maybe that keeps it from being overstuffed, funnily enough. Um, and then Matthew Bond from The Mail on Sunday, UK, says, The vital second half feels ponderous and overblown, and the eventual explanation too complex for its own good. Before we go to Stu's raving reviews, now that we're in real talk, Alex, just how confusing did you find the whole thing, like the plot as it went along? You know, at this point, I still have a hard time separating the idea of, am I really like lost by this or is it because that I'm trying to get it so meticulously correct for my notes that right. I'm confusing myself otherwise. And I'm definitely going to be watching this movie again to see if it really is like overwhelming to the, to the brain. My mom watched it with me and she did probably what I would have done had I not been, you know, taking notes for this and trying to figure it out so I could establish, you know, how I'm going to go about it and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Ev, mm -hmm. She stopped like, trying to figure it out like 20 minutes into it and just kind of watched it. And by the end of it, she was like, man, that was something. And <laughs> it never got to the point where it was so confusing. It took me out of it. It's just between, you know, the watching it for, you know, an assignment, so to speak. And then on top of also, I always try to figure out the ending of movies. Like I, I can't even stop myself from doing it anymore. I always try to figure out where it's going to go before it gets there. So I probably made this more confusing to myself than I needed to. Yes, this was one where definitely the note-taking was a hurdle uh, because I was watching the Japanese version. Yeah, that's even so a, any, yeah, an added. I had to stop you know, several times just because I was like, okay, I need to write this down and if I do it, I'm going to miss. You know, I, A couple of times I missed stuff and I was like, okay, no, no more. I'm just stopping. Fuck it. Uh, but I, I couldn't, my, my issue or my, my conundrum was I couldn't tell if the movie was not telling me enough or if the movie was telling me just enough 
and it was trusting me. And I'm just not used to being trusted by a movie <laughs> to, to put it all together. You know what I mean? You know, the, the, the very basic pieces of what's happening, you know, they're there. But it's not until, as we call that in Contreras Corner, like 30 minutes in is when they finally have the big sequence where they're like, oh, we're swapping places. It happens when we're asleep. It happens a couple times a week. It, it, you know, and so on. They, they lay it out. But it's 30 minutes of movie before you get there. Could this mean that we're really... That we're in our dreams, that guy and I... That we're in our dreams, that girl and I... <gasps> we're switching places? I was fairly sure that I knew what was going on. So it's not that I was that I didn't know, that I couldn't follow, but it was more that I was missing that reassurance of like yes you're right this is what's going on <laughs> but but is that a bad thing you know it's like you know we're going back to the, the idea that japanese animation can be more challenging right like it's it's the filmmaker telling me look you can figure it out so i'm not gonna hold your hand <laughs> let's compromise i'll hold your hand 30 minutes in <laughs> but here i'm just gonna put all these elements and you've seen enough movies that you can figure it out you, you'll yeah. be okay so I'm teetering. I, I, you know, I really can't tell you that that's a problem. I, I think I'd be curious to hear from other people. And, and I didn't even watch the trailer. If the trailer kind of like sets you up for it, then I think that it's hopefully, you know, it's it's an easier experience, an easier like slide into those first 30 minutes. The uh, YouTube trailer that played before I rented it <laughs> made it seem like it was like a romantic comedy that was animated. Definitely didn't mention anything about hundreds of people dying in a tragic, you know, comet striking. <laughs> A small town. <laughs> yeah, they did mention the Terminator 2 sequence. It was the, the Love and Other Drugs trailer of its time. And Josh Gad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just can't get along. <laughs> One of them definitely doesn't have Parkinson's. <laughs> she just wanted to leave her boring small town. He just wanted a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> And then it just cuts to like the, you know, the siren going off. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, read what Robert Stewart, Stu from the Stewart Order, uh, has to say about your name. And then we'll we'll kick this conversation into high gear. Uh, so Stu watched your name October 5th, 2021. He gave it five stars and a heart and says, holy crap, this movie kicked my ass. I'm trying to get rid of the ugly crying face. For the first 25 minutes or so, this was a movie that seemed way too intentionally confusing and non-linear. It was kind of unfocused and had weird breaks and just came across as something that didn't know if it was a movie or a TV show. I really did not care much for it other than the animation. It didn't have much going for it. And then the last hour plus happens and everything is perfection. Absolute perfection. Twists I never saw. A story I became sit upright and stare at the TV engrossed in. And yeah, it beat the crap out of my emotions. Wow. This was a wow movie for me. So Stu, like the second half, absolutely transformed his life. Uh, and then November 8, 2021, again, five stars in the heart. He says, took me less than a month and a half to watch this again to properly confirm its place in my top 10 movies ever. Whoa. I cried again. My wife laughed at me. <laughs> top 10 movies ever. That's uh, Jordan Mann's territory. That's a pretty big matzo ball he's putting out there for us. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't read the, the reviews. I, I had seen the scores, so I knew that he liked it. But man, top 10. Yeah, that's that's intense. Directed and written by, again, Makoto Shinkai. 
Looks like this was released at uh, Anime Expo on July 3rd of 2016, and then in Japan on August 26th of 2016. A budget of 750 million yen, which by uh, January 23rd, 2024 dollars equates to a little bit over 5 million in the U.S., with a box office return of nearly $400 million. And we're going to get to that in just a second here. <laughs> this movie was an absolute sensation. Premiered uh, again at the Anime Expo in Los Angeles on July 3rd of 2016. Later released theatrically in Japan. The film was released in 92 countries. In order to qualify for the Academy Awards, the film was released for one week in Los Angeles. This was in December. And here we move to just the sensation this became. Your Name became a huge commercial success, especially in Japan, where it grossed over 25 billion yen, which translates to a little bit under $200 million uh, American. The film achieved the second largest gross for a domestic film in Japan behind Spirited Away and the fourth largest gross ever behind Titanic and Frozen. It is the first anime not directed by Miyazaki to earn more than $100 million at the Japanese box office. It topped the box office in Japan for a record-breaking 12 non-consecutive weeks. It held the number one position for nine consecutive weekends before being toppled by Death Note, Light Up the New World, which appears to be a movie based on a manga series. In the last weekend of October, it returned to the top for another three weeks before finally being dethroned by Hollywood blockbuster Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That, that is the Harry Potter, not Harry Potter movie, right? Right. It's starring your favorite actor. Oh, known fraud Eddie Redmayne was the... <laughs> yes. <laughs> the success of the film also extended beyond Japan and China. It became the highest grossing Japanese film in the world's second largest movie market on December 17th of 2016. It has grossed uh, over $81 million in China and is the highest grossing 2D animated film in the country. That shit is insane, dog. It's opening screened in over 7,000 theaters. It made an estimated uh, around $11 million on its opening day from 66,000 screenings and attracting over 2.77 million admissions. The biggest 2D animated opening in the country. It also held the record for highest grossing non-Hollywood foreign film in China up until it was surpassed by two Indian films, Dengal and Secret Superstar. Not Singham. Defer to Curtis for those. <laughs> in May 2017 and February 2018, respectively. The film was number one on its opening five days in South Korea with over 1 million admissions and a gross of 8.2 million, becoming the first Japanese film since Howl's Moving Castle to reach number one in the country. And in the United States and Canada, the film grossed over $5 million. In the United Kingdom, it grossed close to a million in 2016, making it the year's fifth highest grossing non-English and non-Hindi film in the UK. So it did all right. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it really, to me, there's some, this is animated, of course, in Japanese, not live action and French. So it's not, you know, I can't say it's just like the Untouchables, but uh, there's definitely some like... Um, parallels there I immediately went to it's a feel-good movie with a little bit of tragedy mixed in uh, that uh, became just you know a global phenomenon it seems because um, I if I this is off the top of my head but I'm pretty sure the untouchables that was somewhere around 400 million dollars that movie made so similar in that aspect as well 
numerous awards, accolades that uh, this movie received, including Austin's Film Critics Association Award for the Best Animated Film. So in between our first and second half, too, I was looking into it, and it seems like this the uh, English dub was taken as seriously as I kind of had expected due to the scale and scope of this movie. I was mm-hmm. reading the uh, English actors they brought in for the dub are all very like experienced in the, the medium of anime and also just pretty resume voice actors. And they were really good in this, too. They didn't just get Brad Pitt to, ah. to do Taki. Yeah, they didn't just put out a casting call and like, can you scream? Come on down. I got... <laughs> <laughs> got the real deal for it. So I'm curious, Julio, what did you think of your name? I I teased our friend Stu on Twitter because I just listened to his episode on uh, Howard the Duck and he was very non-charitable towards that movie. He gave it a three out of ten. Oh, come and on. Yeah. I was like, Stu, what happened? I know you. You like fun. What What's going on here? And uh, so before I started watching your name, I was like, I don't care. I, I just hope that I dislike it even more than Stu disliked Howard the Duck. That was just obviously a bit, but I I think I gave it. I, I wish I'd been able to really just watch the movie before, yeah. you know, and then do the notes for the reasons that we've been mentioning it. Uh, even so, though, even with having to pause it, to take notes and to, you know, just kind of feeling like I was on the time crunch because it's it feels weird calling it a complicated movie because in a way it isn't but I would say it's more complicated than I would have liked you know if I'm watching it just a few hours before we record even with all that Alex when it was done I was like holy shit this was amazing (laughs) (laughs) like I was I was feeling it throughout the movie but it was one of those things where like I couldn't tell you until it was over because I needed to know how they were going to tie it all together, right? Like it's for most of his runtime, it's like, okay, these are really cool ideas and I can see where you're going with them. And and there are a couple of moments that I, I felt worked really well, but it was like, it's not going to amount to anything if they don't find a way to make this land properly. And and they did. It was, it was good. Like I didn't ugly cry i didn't even cry like Stu did but i did feel the emotions you know yeah uh, it even kind of snuck up on me when they finally see each other for the first time it was like rationally i was thinking this, this shouldn't i shouldn't get this worked up about it because kind of like what i said in the trench corner right like it's like i don't get the romance part of it like on a rational level i was like what why are they why is he in love with her instead of going after the his co-worker but but the movie does a good enough job of like building up this relationship that uh, I feel like it wasn't so much that you, you know that's it it's not so much that I've seen it as this at that point this love story it's more like well they were connected in a way that nobody else had connected to them before you know that uh-huh. and so meeting this person that you've been talking to all this time in a very uh, distant way in a very remote way suddenly getting to see them face to face whether it's a romantic moment or not you know it's it's powerful and so when it gets to that moment it was just like yes i i don't know if i believe that they're in love with each other but it's so awesome that they're getting to see each other you know and the way they set it up with the twilight thing and you know it was it was really good hey mitsuha 
you still have a lot to do. Listen. It's coming. Don't worry. You still have enough time. I'll do my best. It looks like magic hours almost over. So yeah, it was it worked really well. I most of the things I pointed out in the dress corner. I mean, I I think that they're they're true. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't call them plot holes, but you know things that you can point out if you're not into the movie. I, it, you know, you can just be like, "Why aren't they trying to call each other? Why aren't they emailing each other?" Yeah. <laughs> but I think that the magic of the movie, if it has you, is that you don't care. You just you're like, it's fun, right? It's a, it's a body swap movie, so yeah, they're gonna write each other <laughs> on their arms and their faces, and they're gonna be very impractical about the way they handle this, but but it still works. Uh, I did find it funny, not funny, like, you know, jokes landing every minute, like with, I mean, going back to just what we know, right? Disney, Pixar, like that's just like rapid fire. It's like one laugh and then another, another, this was more, you know, it took its time. There were moments of calm where they were just talking about tradition and what was going on in their lives. But, but there were moments that, that really did hit, uh, I think you said in Guitar Score, the little sister's funny. The, uh-huh. His friends I found funny too. Like the, the two dudes. I, I think it's funny the way that her friends handle her weirdness and the way that his friends handle his weirdness. It's yeah. just different enough that you can tell, you know, they're very different people in very different spaces. Um, so yeah, the, the short version is I I liked it a lot. I was kind of blown away and it, it lived up to the hype. I, I didn't know anything about this movie other than it was a big deal. I remember that year when it came out, it just kept showing up on top 10 lists online and people raving about it to the point where, as I said, like I was I was aware of it being such a big deal that I remember getting it for, for Kelly. And also I remember just buying tickets to see the follow-up you know, in, in theaters. And whether I'm with you, just to get it out of the way, I don't think it's as good. I did not have any emotional reaction to it the way that I did with with this movie, uh, but it's still very imaginative and very visually stunning. It's about a girl that has the power to control the weather somewhat, and so she makes a living by you know they hire her to to create a specific type of weather wherever it is that she's called, and it's kind of like a road trip movie, and it, it's worth watching because it's just so inventive, but. It was not uh, on an emotional level. It didn't hit me like this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on to you, Alex. How how did you go through this? Because I feel like your expectations might have been fuzzier than mine. Oh man, I was bored to death. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I really enjoyed it. I, I know I'm gonna overhype it. Like you know, oh, I'm open to a whole new world now, and I'm probably gonna watch. 10 more anime (laughs) movies the rest of my life but you know it's uh i really am glad that this specific movie is something that someone brought to me and said hey watch this and tell me how you feel about it because i really enjoyed it like i said i i'm gonna watch this again maybe here in the next week or so just to watch it without the constraints or restrictions is obviously a very dramatic way of phrasing it but uh like I said, watching it with uh, my mom there, and she just had the man. That was something else. And when she, where the credits were playing, she's like, "How do you even begin to think of something like that?" You know, just the 
the story <laughs> and everything. And she obviously is never watched a Japanese animated movie in her life. And she uh, kept commenting on how pretty it was. And obviously this is an, a, an exception because this movie is gorgeous. And I think strives to achieve a higher level of presentation and animation than a lot of times you'll get from your run of the mill anime, so to speak. Did you notice how good this movie looked? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, that was something else that I, assumed was going to be the case because having watched Weathering With You and that movie, I mean, we saw that in theaters, so it was amazing to look at. It was very impressive because it's also not quite the, you know, the Studio Ghibli aesthetic. It's, like I said, this is a little more contemporary. And so it was just, I knew that it was going to look good. I just didn't know what it was going to be about. (laughs) But yeah, every time that they showed the the sky, that, that opening... And then, you know, every, they go to the, the the big comet, like, I don't know, two or three times in the movie. And every time it looks so good. Yeah. And then just emotionally speaking, because this movie does deal you pretty hard hands emotionally. And so oh yeah, I was not above also just thinking that they weren't able to he wasn't able to save her at the end either. So uh, I thought that was a really good reveal of like he was still tormented by it all and he doesn't know why, but she lived, you know, I thought that was a really good way of kind of tying that together and then still giving us the, they'd find each other in the end. And I just, yeah, I thought it was excellent. It's I'm telling y'all listening to this right now. It's a movie that you obviously have had it spoiled by listening to this, but if you do end up watching it, you can probably get confused if you're trying to piece things together. It's one of those movies you just kind of have to let happen to you. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. I think that you, you shouldn't try to uh, work out the logistics of the timeline and you know, what's happening. That is you, you can go down a really bad rabbit hole. If you're trying to figure out what's happening, what exactly is happening with the other person whenever they, they swap bodies. Yes. And it's a lot of it is stuff that, uh, I was like rubbing my hands in the sense of like, okay, this is this is contrarian corner material, right? Like it's just picking apart the nonsensical. Like, really, it takes them that long to figure out that somebody's being taking over their bodies, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But the movie moves pretty fast and it's very entertaining. So you can just make the conscious decision not to try to <laughs> overthink that the the plot mechanics. And if you can't, I mean, that's fine. I've been there. You know, there are movies where I just can't. You know, I can do for this movie what I couldn't do for Ricochet, right? <laughs> with Come Ricochet, on, man. I was like, I, but that's you know, with Ricochet, I was like, it, it doesn't make sense. And here it's like, it doesn't make sense either if you stop and think about it. But that's fine. I can, I can, this one I can let them carry me to it. Uh, I think maybe uh, I don't know. Denzel needed to play with his boobs more or something. <laughs> man, he was shredded in that movie. I don't know what you're talking about. That was that wasn't <laughs> enough for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kevin Pollock. I'm already disgusted to learn that there's a live action American remake in the works that as uh, of October 31st, 2022, is going to be written and directed by someone named Carlos Lopez Estrada. I don't know that person. I don't know. What's what's worse, Alex? What What would irritate you more? That they get somebody that you don't know to do it, like this guy? Or did they get a big name to do it? Uh, I would prefer they just don't. Right. But but what's going to upset you more? 
Well, the good news is I'm not going to see it either way. So who's I don't I don't fucking care. It just that was more of a of course, this is what's happening type note. Francis Ford Coppola. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson starring Timothy Chalamet and Sorcerer Running. (laughs) What if it was already remade and it was uh, licorice pizza? What if that was (laughs) the spiritual successor? Can I ask you your name? So it's something that I think that that, that would make this made this stand apart was the the things that caught me by surprise because I, I was not getting a dress corner. I thought that I was just sitting down for your standard body swap movie. And so there's the the kind of back-to-back reveals of what's happening, right? That that she's in the past, but also that she's dead. <laughs> It's just yeah, like that, a one-two punch of like, wow, the movie just changed completely. That got me hard because then he also is like talking. He's narrating. He's like, am I dreaming? Is she a ghost? Am I going crazy? And, you know, that's kind of the fun of the movie when it's over to think about like, oh, the movie tells you that time can be bent and work in ways that like are beyond mm-hmm. our comprehension. It's just, you know, the way the the world and the gods work. And so um it's a movie that does really stretch a lot of uh, believability, but does it in a way and it, it tells you that in the movie. And that's always you and I have talked about that can be the kiss of death when your movie makes no sense. But a character says it makes no sense. So it means it's OK. And that does not always work. Uh, uh, quite often, it does not work. But in a movie like this that just explains, you know, love, God's. Uh, the unknown can create the, the can bend time and create the uh, unimaginable. It's it it works very well. Yep, uh, and I really like. I called it out in the first corner, kind of a, as a joke. But I really like that they had that moment where the the grandma explains that they don't know why they don't know the, the rationale behind their traditions or rituals. Yes. But they do it because it's tradition, right? But the the explanations, the text that explained why you do this this certain way, it's just lost. And now they're just moving on on, on pure faith. And I thought that that was a very, very cool detail to add to, to the story. Uh, we talked a little bit about the music. And I my last big point is that I love the music here. I had the the disc on on the main menu for a while before I actually press play on the movie, and uh, the menu music is the the theme that plays when she and Taki's body first realizes that she's in Tokyo. So she mm-hmm. just comes out and she's just looking at the the buildings and walking through with people, and that 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 theme is the the one that just plays kind of on a loop on the blu-ray menu and i was i hadn't even started the movie and i was in a good mood i was like this sounds really good <laughs> uh, and then when it played you know in the movie i was like ah there it is this is the, the theme from the from the menu so big a big fan you know that i'm like a big fan when even the music is something that i want to talk about oh yeah i really enjoyed the music too which i'm definitely going to look into and see if it was the same group or like the the same songs just being performed by different musicians because like if the lyrics are in Japanese and the version you watch in English and mine, then clearly different tracks were recorded. But um, 
yeah, clearly a movie that uh, I I don't know if the English dub was recorded, you know, with or right after the fact, but definitely a movie that knew it was going to be a big deal and needed one. So uh, went out of its way to be accessible to even the the boomers of the world who don't like subtitles. <laughs> All right. and, you know, because of the way Japanese animation works too, is like the mouth, the way the mouths move is in is like, um, uh, vivid synced. or synced. Yes. Thank you. As some of the stuff we're used to. Cause I'm just thinking now of other foreign movies we've done and imagining like an English dub on it. Blue is the warmest color with fucking Emma Stone and Kate Blanchett voicing over. <laughs> Let's do it. I want it. <laughs> uh, you like printing money, Hollywood. There's your uh, American remake right there. Um, all right. So now the moment we've waited for Julio. What's the score? I, I don't have a single bad thing to say about this movie. It's it's a five stars for me. God bless. Yeah, I'd give it an A. It's, uh, you know, I can't right now give it the A plus just because I, I think I need some time to let it um, simmer and then eventually revisit it. But uh, it, just because Stu set the bar so high with, you know, the five star and top 10 movies of all time, I can't go that far into it, but I can give it an A and I can recommend like anyone with an earshot of this. I would say you should watch this movie. Yes, agreed. I if for some reason you haven't, I mean, it's possible. Alex and I watch a lot of movies and we hadn't watched this one. So it's yeah. possible that you've heard of your name and you just you've been putting it off. Well, stop and do it now. It's uh I guess if you have a Crunchyroll account, you can watch it there. If not, it's uh, I, it's available for rental everywhere online. So you did YouTube, right? I did. Wonderful. It, so did you say that it didn't give you the option or, or it was basically a different rental if you wanted to do the Japanese track? The version on YouTube that you can rent is dubbed. Uh, but sounds like the... Physical release that Julio has, and I would imagine on Crunchyroll, and looks like if you have Crunchyroll, you can also get through Prime. I imagine the original tracks on there, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, the YouTube version's dubbed. But goddamn, dude, I watched this on the our TV, and it just looked unbelievable. Um, yes, we are we are proof that whether you watch the English dub or the Japanese original, it works. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which you cannot say that for all foreign movies that that can sometimes ruin an experience with it. So this one thumbs up. If you want to read the subtitles or if you just kind of want to sit back with English dubbed, you're going to be well off either way. All right. I'll, I'll close this out Alex by pointing out that this is not the last of Japanese animation, uh, in the contrarians short term future. I would say if you look at our spreadsheet, you'll see that completely unrelated. Cause I don't think they're in cahoots, but, uh, we have a different patron that has uh, assigned some uh, Miyazaki movies for QVRs. So that's Tremendous. coming at some point. Broaden Just, my horizons, you yep. know? That's it. That's the name of the game. So that's it for your name. Now we go from a 98% movie to a 17% movie on the next episode. My God. Alex, do you even know what Dunstan Checks In is about? 
Uh, definitely not. I think it's about a monkey. <laughs> That's. I don't know if I want to be wrong or not, but the, Dunstan checks in, requested slash demanded by Jason Nerdrovert. That's. That's coming up next. <laughs> it is, I don't know what else to say. It is about a monkey. It's directed by Ken Quapis. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it stars Jason Alexander and Faye Dunaway, because, of course, Glenn Shaddix is in it. Otho himself. Robert Grant, this is Jason Alexander, is a concierge of the elegant Majestic Hotel. With inspectors due for a surprise visit, Majestic's owner... Mrs. Dubrow, Faye Dunaway, puts extra pressure on Robert to keep the establishment running flawlessly. Robert, hoping to be rewarded with some time off to relax with his sons, vows to put the utmost care into his duties. And the task is complicated by one guest's unruly, light-fingered orangutan, Dunstan. Listen, you had me a quapis. So. <laughs> I'm in. Oh, brother. Ken Krapis's triumphant return to the Contrarians. I did not see that coming in 2024. Take what we can get, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. Have your highs, you have your lows, and then you have your Krapis. That's it for this episode. Let's get out of here, Alex. Welcome to our end credits. Or as we usually call them, our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rutgeeser is the man behind our logo and all the art you see related to our show. Reach out to him and let him know how much you like that little tomato. His email address is mildemonios at hotmail.com and his website is mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. You can also check out his podcast, Nación Combi, about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. For those interested in the regularly absurd world of professional wrestling, Joe and the boys over at LateNightGrin.com have you covered. Tell them the contrarians sent you. And we'd like to close with special thanks to our social media team of Zoe Perez and Coriari. Each of the social media accounts we mentioned in the introduction look as good as they do because of their work. So that'll do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Or how much money you make to get